Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm one of your regular hosts, Scott Weatherly, and I'm joined as usual by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing quite fine. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good and uh, ready to travel in time and complete my loop. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Yes. So as you might guess, today we are going to be talking about Looper. And I think it's clear that, that uh, Julie and I are going to take quite differing uh, stances on on this film. Um, although, having watched it this time from a critical standpoint, it may be a little closer than I suspected, having thought back on it. Um, but let's go on to do a quick sort of just a, a quick couple of words from you, Julian. What what are your initial thoughts on this film before we get into the you know the plot and everything? Um. I sort of had heard that there was a major new science fiction movie that was amazing that I needed to see. This is either a wonderful thing or a very ill omen. Uh, And in this case, it was an ill omen. Um, Yeah, I mean, my my initial response was that, you know, okay, cool opening. Uh, You know, there's stuff that I like. Uh, Then it very quickly goes into stuff that is just not good. Um, you know, and it always has to do with uh, time travel. It always has to do with how, you know, uniquely, um, you know, uniquely thoughtless it is. So, I mean, I'd say like the first thing is like the looper from the future kind of dying, you know, and it's like, I start seeing problems, but I think, okay, lots of movies have problems. We'll see how this resolves. And as it goes on, there's still some stuff that I like. I love that flashback sequence. But by the end of the movie, um, yeah, I mean, all, all I can say is uh, this this certainly is in the running for the worst ending of all time in my uh, What about you? I take it with, you had a different reaction. Yeah, it's one of those sort of... I, I do really enjoy this film. And I think it's... it's um, in a, in a sense of sort of like it, it, it's fun for me. This film is 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 ridiculously fun, um, and I I, I, I kind of like the fact that it, it tells you like not to think about the time travel like repeatedly. Like several characters actually say to you like, "Don't think about it; it'll fry your brain." And it's almost like I find it quite charming in that it, it's sort of trying to tell you sort of like we know that this doesn't really work, but just stick with me because it'll pay off. Um, and then, like I say, I think the ending is probably part of the is probably the weakest part of this. But I don't know. There's something about this film that I just enjoy. Um, and I think part of I'm going to say part of it is the performances. I think this is probably the last time Bruce Willis really sort of committed to a role in any way. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's an interesting film. Um, but watching this time, I definitely found some some moments where I was scratching my head and I had to sort of skip back to make sure I understood what what I thought was happening was actually happening. Well, I, I just um, want to say real quick that I am a huge fan of joy and I am a huge fan mm-hmm. of any movie that brings you joy. I can't imagine what you enjoy about this and I want to hear it and I really want to explore that and get into that. But I, I, you know, as we've said before on the show, if anyone disagrees with us and they like something or you and I disagree and we like something, Hey, if you like it, you win, right? You get a movie that you like. Awesome. And that's the thing is it's, it's about, you know, if you love it, you love it and fair and fair play, but we will be getting into this one a little bit. Um, So, Let's get into it. So, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis, both as young and old Joe, uh, Emily Blunt, uh, Jeff Daniels, and Noah Sagan. Uh, they're the main sort of characters I thought to pull out. Uh, the plot really is, in 2074, time travel doesn't exist, but it does 30 years in the future, where it has been criminalised. However, the mob use it to disappear people. They are sent back and shot by hired gunmen called loopers. They work for a period and then their future selves are sent back and killed, closing the loop. Joe is one of these loopers. When his old self arrives, he goes on the run to change the way his life is about to to change the way his life is about to end. I'll sort of I'll round it out about that. But let's let's get into the first thing. The general underlying concept of this is this idea of loopers and sending people back 30 years to um, to be killed off and their bodies disposed of. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? This <laughs> sort of. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, okay. My my first impression was okay. This is a mildly clever idea. I mean, the opening is just kind of a guy snap. He's there and he's instantly shot. And, you know, uh, seeing that the guy magically appear like that is kind of cool. You know, I don't really think it's very clever that they they can't dispose of bodies in the future. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the thing that I find, you know, first of all, also, I think that uh, the looper's entire job is to fire one gun at a set time. Like, this is not a cool occupation, really, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know, a robot can do this. Um, and, and and then I also think, like, okay, these future employers have this money in the future. They've sent this guy back in time to kind of run these loopers. Um, if you can send somebody back in time to kind of run those loopers, like, you can just set up a bank account, gain the interest and just keep doing this and take over the world that way. I'm not sure, like, why does the, I know, like, time travel is illegal, but why is the mob the only people who are doing this? I mean, it doesn't really matter because it's just the setup. Um, I think the thing I object to the most, though, is why in the world do you have the looper kill them for their future selves? Like, you could literally have any other looper do this, uh, you know, any other one of these killers. Why in the world would you be like, you know, it's your time to die just to stick that knife in. I'm going to make sure you kill yourself. <laughs> it, I, feel, it, almost, it, it almost feels like a union rule. Like, you know, it's like, it's a union rule that like, well, you, you know, if you're going to do this, you're going to be able to kill yourself off and you get the golden payoff. 
So you can go off and you can spend your 30 years. And this is the thing that really sort of bothered me in this one was the 30 years. Um, with this idea that sort of, like, yeah, you get a golden handshake. You know, when your thing comes through, um, you then get 30 years to enjoy yourself. And eventually you are then going to get captured and sent back to that moment for you to close the loop and to be killed off and your body disposed of. Fine. <laughs> it's 2020 today, right? Mm-hmm. So in 30 years, it'll be 2050. But next year, it'll be 2021 and 2051. And so that 30-year gap keeps moving, yeah? So what happens, yeah. when you ca- what happens when you catch up to the time that time travel's invented? 30 years on from the, sort of, from the moment time travel's invented, does that mean that they've got to stop doing this? So... Because right. they, or do they go back even further? And why thirty years? It, it, you know, why not even further? Why not sort of arrange this so you right. actually go back to the wild west? Like that would be even like you'd never find the bodies then. Yeah, no, that that's exactly sort of you know what I was thinking, and and you could. I'm I, I'm not sure about that kind of like sliding time scale, um, but you know, like there's so much you can do with time travel, you know, and and you can kind of get around this by saying it, it's somehow more expensive every year you go back or, or something like that. But nobody bothers to even throw in a line of dialogue about that. And I think like if the government has time travel and it's clearly has that and it's restricted and only these kind of gangsters are using it. Is there no evidence that, you know, did nobody screw up the timeline in any way before they put this legislation in? I mean, it seems like such a limited use of time travel, kind of like oddly unimaginative. Well, the other thing is, they actually say that. So you've got Jeff Daniels' character, Abe, who's sort of like the boss of the loopers. And he sort of, there's a moment in this film, which we'll, there's a whole scene in this film, which, which visually is quite cool. And I actually really like, but like it calls out from a causality point of view, makes no sense. Um, but he says at one point, he says, oh, you know, you can damage someone and that's sort of fine for the future, but you can't kill anyone because that could be catastrophic for the future. So mm-hmm. he sort of talks about having to try and keep people alive for that 30 year period. Cause that sort of, he never really explains it, but he thought it could be catastrophic. How do you know that? <laughs> I don't Cause know. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the mob hasn't got like, you know, physicists and, <laughs> and sort of uh, theoretical sort of scientists going, well, this is what's going to happen if you do this big Joe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it feels a bit like something's clearly happened. It's, it's sort of, although if you and I have always talked to us like that, we like smaller, sort of quite self-contained stories, right? But if you're going to sort of talk about the criminalization of time travel and the use of it as to dispose of people, like, all right, there's a bigger, there's a bigger story there. There's something going on there that really should be tapped into. And right. Yeah, I mean, you make a very good point, and. I am bothered by that. I was bothered by it the first time through, but I'm willing to go along with it. It's the kind of like thing where I think, okay, I cannot see this as a fully fleshed out world that has time travel. Um, Mm. As you point out, it's sort of like, you know, the mobsters are like, you know, yeah, we're going to kill that rat. See, but you know, we're going to use this illegal technology, but make sure you don't screw up the timeline. Be very careful to follow the rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For years, they've just been dropping people in rivers in concrete shoes. And now they're like, oh, well, we've really got to, talk, we've really got to think about the causality of this situation. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to be doing that. It, it, it feels a little bit, 
over convoluted. What would have been more interesting is if this if this had actually been a government organization that was sending people back mm. um, and actually had some sort of oversight or something, and that's why it was being done. I don't know. But um yeah. yeah but it, I mean the thing is like okay, this is this is the setup, right? I mean it's hard to complain over much about the setup. Like, mm. you know, the, the, what the world looks like 30 years on isn't really important. And I cannot believe you have gotten me to defend Looper here, but <laughs> you know, the, the future world isn't important. You in fact only see it very, very briefly and only from Bruce Willis's perspective. So mm. um, that future world isn't important. All of these questions aren't important. Yes. It doesn't really make sense, but this is all just the setup of the whole looper thing. Um, and I can go along with that. I, you know, I have exactly the same objections, but I can go along with that. If there's a payoff to your, the sort of things that you set up, right? Like you set up this world, you set up these rules. Uh, you're not going to be concerned about that future, but within these rules, we are going to very carefully tease this out and see the implications of that. And there's going to be a payoff. Just wait to that twist ending. So that's my problem. Yeah. And, and I, I am being a bit mean because I, I do like the, I do like the setup. And I think because it's, I think because, because visually it works um, for me, like, you know, like you say, it's a very mundane job, but I think I almost sort of see why, you know, these loopers are quite low level in the whole um Mob setup. I mean, they are given a. I love the fact that he's told that they're given a blunderbust, which is what this sort of, this sort of futuristic looking blunderbust, because beyond fifteen feet or beyond fifteen meters, whatever, beyond fifteen yards, they couldn't hit anything because it becomes so inaccurate. But within those fifteen yards, like you can't miss. So that's like they haven't got to be skilled. They haven't got to be trained. It's literally like you are the low to the low. Just blow these people away. You get yourself paid. You know, move on. And then you've got the, what they call the gap men, which are a bit more skilled, and that's sort of like the heavies of the mob. So I actually, I don't know why, but I, I sort of tapped into. It. I was like, I kind of like this setup that um, they are just sort of like perfunctory. That these are just just the low, like you know, they've got no real say or influence within this sort of like gang setup. Um, they're just a a workman, really, you know, sort of blue collar within the mob. Like you've got to go dispose of this move on to the next job. You get told a time and a place, do your job, carry on. Um, and I do, I kind of like that, actually. I think that sort of setup, I, I do like that, regardless of the sort of the issues with the time travel. Yeah, um, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I'm fine with that. You know, there are things that, I think more than anything, why do they have to kill themselves bothers me. But hmm. even then, okay, Obviously, that's the setup, the theme of, you know, sort of how do you deal with your future self? What's your loyalty to your future self? I mean, that's a great theme. I, I mm. you know, I, I think that is fantastic uh, as an idea. I'm not sure that it plays out in any convincing way. But, you know, these are the things that kind of the first time through kept me going. Yeah, no, because when, when you get to meet, you know when there's when they get to finally meet sort of like uh, older Joe and young Joe sort of like they have those conversations. There are moments in that I I do really like that interaction when it's, they they have that conversation sort of like Joseph Gordon Levitt saying to Bruce Willis like no that was your life like you you've led your life you've had your time it's my time now 
And he's sort of brutally saying, like, no, but this is your bloody life. Like, you've got to take these into, you know, it's as a, it's that sort of, um, I like that idea of sort of like, if you could go back to your younger self, and, you know, even if your younger self is all going to be that sort of like petulant idiot of like, no, no, you, you're an old man and you don't really understand me. And I'm like, I was you. I know, I am you and I was you. I was, you know, I know what this is all about. Um, and so I do like that dynamic that comes up later. Um, Absolutely. Him sort of, I agree with that. Him, if him sort of saying, like, no, look, this woman, she comes along. Because the gist of the story is when um, Joe, played by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, has to complete his loop and his older self arrives, you find out that that Bruce Willis, who plays his, like, the older self, goes on the run. He's doing all this because at some point in the future, after living quite a hedonistic and violent life, he finally meets someone who like completes him and sort of makes him settle down and he becomes... Um, you know, happy and all this other stuff. And he's like, no, I, I, and she, you find out, I'm going to spoil the crap out of this but you find out that she's been killed. So he wants to change things so that that, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so you can get into the whole thing. Of, does time, time travel change the future? But like, you, you know, and he's trying to say like, look, this is going to happen. Like, I've got, I, there's only so much I can change back here because you've still got to meet her in this future. So you've still got to have that sort of like period of traveling around to, in order to meet her. Um, and yeah, so he's like saying, it was my life, but it's your future life. You've got to do this. Uh, so I do like that sort of being able to talk to his younger self. That That's one of the things I really like in this film. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, let me say something positive and then something negative. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it wasn't that long ago that The Good Place concluded. And, mm. you know, at the end, it sort of goes unknown number of years kind of you know the idea is millions of years and you kind of see how they all evolve and you kind of follow them out right um mm-hmm. i know we're spoiling looper now i'm spoiling the good place but yeah. uh but you know i i felt like you know the, you know this is an okay emotional ending but people change and i know how those characters would change and they're not really allowed to they still have the same kind of idiosyncratic personalities and intonations. And mm. so one really good thing about this film is the idea that people can change and that Bruce Willis, mm. you know, really is a different person. And I think that's much more realistic. I think that um, I'm not convinced that they would be as hostile towards each other uh, in some cases, but I do think that it allows for that possibility of change. And if I had to talk to myself at, you know, 14, I'd have a lot in common with him, but there'd be an awful lot that I'd just say, you know, listen, kid, uh, let me yeah. tell you the way this works. Yeah. <laughs> you need to stop this nonsense. Yeah. And and that's it. And the thing is, though, they, they, I mean, they put an additional sort of challenge in there, which which is that not only is it that your future is at stake, but the present, as in, like, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levin is, is actually at stake, because if it's, if it's found out that he hasn't completed the loop, then he doesn't get that thirty years, and he will get killed in the present, uh, or at least they'll do they'll do enough to him to actually make him suffer for the next sort of however long, which is just as bad. And that gets into the sort of the the first time you see a loop being completed, um, or an attempted loop being completed, is um, uh, Joe's friend. I forget the name of the character, but he gets sent himself, and sort of his future self turns up singing, and he recognizes the song. And he takes off the hood and his, his future self sort of goes on the run. Um, 
and then they have a scene of him about to escape and he he, he notices an arrow that's been scarred into his arm and when he pulls back his sleeve it says be at um, this address at this time which they've clearly done in the present to his younger self and then he notices like his fingers disappearing and then his nose and that uh, something about that you know as he's driving to the um to that location to get there as quickly as possible like his leg disappears and another part of his leg then his arms disappear and he's battered on the wall to be let in to stop that happening and visually i really liked it i think it looks really it looks really good it's one of the things that sort of drew me into this film in the first place uh the first time i've seen it however like you, like you say now you'll go back and watch it i'm like <laughs> my brain can't accept that because right. he's you know you're saying, telling me that his 30-year younger self <laughs> has just had his leg cut off, but you've only just... It's only just affected you as you're driving a car, which says that you actually got <laughs> into that car and you ran to this thing and you've done all this thing. You've done all this other stuff right. with a leg. And I'm yes. like, uh, now it's all like causality doesn't make sense because you're sort of like, with that that event you've just done in 2020, let's say, I mean, it's 2074, so... The thing you've done to the young person in 2074 hasn't had a causal effect for mm-hmm. 30 years. Right. So it sort of that's where I really that's the one thing I was really sort of like, oh man, this is where it's if they hadn't have done that, I could go with certain bits, but it sort of feels like even if they just kept it like he'd lost a couple of fingers or his nose, I'd be fine with that. Because you could live for 30 years and not and not really worry Right, it wouldn't have changed that, that much. No, but when they start to cut off his limbs, I'm like, oh no, no. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, it start. I start to struggle with that part of the film. It looks well, great. It looks really cool. But I agree with you. I mean, I think it 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 has a kind of like body horror as he's kind yeah. of disintegrating, and but it is probably the first case where you begin to get a glimmer that this is really a profoundly fucking stupid movie. Um, and you know, like it is a movie about time travel that literally has not given any thought whatsoever to time travel has Mm. no idea. It's just wildly inconsistent, no idea what it's doing. Uh, and it's exactly that problem. Like, you know, uh, this is, it's kind of like, uh, you know, back to the future, right. Where like you see, oh, he's disappearing. Right. It's kind of like a magical version of time travel. Um, Mm. And so the problem with this isn't just that, uh, like, there is a version of time travel in which you could have this guy not disappear when his younger self is killed, right? Like, you can do a version of time travel in which the the guy from the future comes back to the present and he's just in the present, right? It's like Cable, Mm. you know, in X-Men. He's just in the present and you've wiped out his future. But he's still in the present because he came there previously and now he's in the present and there's no like anchor point in the future that if it's wiped out, he doesn't, you know, you can't, he doesn't um, get yeah, a, race, like a man right? without, yeah, yeah, he's like a man without a home. He's a man without a timeline sort of thing. Exactly. But in that case, his nose isn't going to be affected, right? The, you can't yes. write on the yeah. arm, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it's like they want to, you know, they can't get anything right. Well, this is a film that wants to have its cake and eat it, isn't it? That's and that's sort of where it sort of becomes a bit of a problem. Um, 
Because they do play with these ideas again. I mean, like, you know, later, in order to get Bruce Willis's attention, Joe Gordon-Levitt sort of writes Beatrix into his arm. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the diner that he goes to when he does his sort of his looping. Um, but and, and there's a, I think there's a nice joke in there when he says, uh, he says, there's a waitress that works here at the weekend called Jen. <laughs> yeah. Would have been sure. Would have been shorter, and I'm like that that bit. I was like, see, it's things like that. It's the writing in this I actually quite like. But you're right that the as you say, the consideration to time travel is it just doesn't work because it's that conversation then in the um, in the diner when like Bruce Willis is like um, Joe Gordon Levitt sort of so he tries to sort of break it down, and Bruce Willis is like. It doesn't matter. It, like, otherwise, if you don't, if you keep doing this, we're going to be sat here like drawing fucking diagrams, and it's just going to take forever. Like, just forget, forget about how it works. It doesn't matter. And it's clear that they're trying to sort of say to the audience, like, don't think about that right. because we've got a story to tell. Um, okay, okay, I'm going to rant for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so when there's the writing on Bruce Willis's arm, I mean, I think that's kind mm. of a, a, a clever device. Um, but it only works if you're doing a version of time travel where that, you know, can, you have that writing on your arm your whole life and then you go back in time. OK, so then it doesn't magically appear on your arm. When you came to the present, you already had it on your arm. That's the mm. only way you can do this um, or else you're just a man out of time and it doesn't affect you. I mean, you cannot do it. So it magically appears. Um, I mean, this is this is dumb in the first place. Um, the other thing is. I can kind of forgive that in the case of the earlier guy who, um, you know, first the writing appears and then he sort of disintegrates. But specifically in the case of Bruce Willis, you've had this uh, sort of flash forward um, where you see Gordon Levitt become Bruce Willis. And I actually think that's that's well done. In fact, that's the Mm. that's if the really the one part of the movie that I remember liking. Um, However, that entire plot is about him finding this, this, you know, of course, it's an Asian chick, right? And falling in love and changing his ways. Now I have to imagine that entire sequence, you know, which she was standoffish towards him. Now she went over to him and was like, who's this girl that you have written on your arm? <laughs> yeah. Why in 30 years did he not like have that removed? You would yeah. have to believe that. And there was never a conversation like lying in bed, like I'm in love with you. Yeah, but who's this Beatrix? And He's why a, uh, haven't you had that removed if you care yeah. about me? Well, the, the thing that they try to explain it as well, don't they? there's a format because we're going to have to get into the whole timeline thing again here. Cause they actually show you two different timelines in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so there's this idea that I say that, you know, Bruce Willis tries to explain at one point that as they do things differently. So as again, as they change things, um, he, he has like headaches. And so he gets like new memories and he gets like, it becomes crystal clear <laughs> to him what God. Joe Gordon Levitt is doing. Which is is used as a plot device to know where you know it becomes almost like a it becomes a plot device at the end, so that when he when Joe Gordon Levitt's almost trying to hide out from him, um, he's like, well, I can't do. He's he's gonna know. He basically knows where I am, and he knows he's gonna know what I know, sort of within mm-hmm. instance of me knowing it. And it's sort of like, again, I'm like, okay, I actually kind I I find that kind of interesting when we get into the whole Terminator segment, which we'll get into, um. And, but again, it doesn't make sense because if you know that information, mm-hmm. you've lived with it for your entire life. So 
it's almost like the version of time travel they've tried to create is, is a fantasy version, and I do struggle with it because it doesn't, like I say, causality is still completely taken out of out of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's but, not even a version of time travel. It's not even consistent in itself. Um, well, this is yeah. Well, this is the problem because this is the thing you've said because there is a version of this story where Joseph Gordon-Levitt becomes Bruce Willis, spends his thirty years. He then reaches a point. He's then caught. He's then put in a straitjacket and hooded, goes back in time, and he's shot. And that's it. Right. And you see that because that's an area where he sees it, he shoots himself, and he's gagged, and he's got the gold on his back, and that's the golden payoff. So there was a timeline where he didn't meet the woman. He didn't meet, you know, the, the, the woman that saves his life in China in the yeah. future, whatever. Yeah. So, all right, so that's so. So, what changed that? So, I was sort of thinking back, and I had to go back. I, I didn't go, I didn't go primer on this, but I went a little bit sort of into <laughs> it. <laughs> but I did sort of look back, go back. So, the character played by Jeff Daniels, Abe, he actually yeah. says at one point early on, when he's because you see that Joseph Gordon Levitt as a young Joe is learning French, um. And so he sort of he says, "Oh, where, where, you, where are you planning on going when you get your time?" He's like, oh, you, you know, he says, "Whatever." He says, "I'm going to France, go to China." And he says, "No, no, no, I want to, I want to go to France." He's like, "I'm from the future, go to China." So he actually says to him, "Like, so is that?" So that got me thinking. And I was like, "Okay, well, that's what clearly makes him change his mind because he does go to China and spends his time mm. over there and joins the Asian gangs and all that sort of thing." So is. Is that the trigger point that actually changed the timeline? So, was there a point at which Abe didn't say that? Um, and he so he went to France, he lived his life, he did whatever, then died at the end of it. And, you know, got sent back to be to be looped. Um, mm. And that so that's sort of what was bothering me was a bit like okay, there's so this tells me then that timelines can be changed because right. there's clearly a timeline change here. However, one of the final moments of this film is actually this idea of a fixed loop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, this but, is exactly told, my point. But but you've already told me that that doesn't exist because you've clearly broken your own loop by changing your own actions. Right. I mean, it cannot get its version of time travel right. And you'd think that in a movie about loop that's called Looper, that it yeah. might have an idea about what a time loop is or depict mm. that. Um, you know, the other thing about that is, um, you know, you mentioned this is kind of uh, one of Bruce Willis's last sort of trying efforts um keep in mind 12 monkeys uh mm. and i think that this movie kind of references 12 monkeys the uh mother of the the rainmaker which by the mm. way always makes me think of the grisham novel and its adaptation yeah. <laughs> um the mother always calls uh the son monkey and then mm. uh bruce uh gordon levitt wants to learn french and you know 12 monkeys mm. was uh adapted from a french short film um so i i feel as if this movie kind of nods a little bit to 12 monkeys and in 12 monkeys you're in a deterministic universe its depiction of time travel is um entirely coherent it's much more like uh watchmen uh where you cannot change time and Mm -hmm. nobody even attempts to they're just like yeah we know time can't be changed and it is a brilliant movie and I think mm. that this movie kind of wants to be a different version of time travel and be that kind of brilliant movie and just 
fails miserably. And, and I think that the comparison between the two, which it almost invites, is catastrophic for the movie that is inviting the comparison. I agree. I mean, it's, it is that thing, isn't it? Of sort of saying like, you know, yes, we want, we want to be like this. Unfortunately, we can't be as good as or better than that. Um, and I think that's the thing. Like, it, this film keeps referencing, referencing loops, or it does keep referencing this idea of seeing the future. Um, Cause again, Abe says about um, Abe's uh, Jeff Daniels character, Abe says to, to uh, Joe at one point, uh, what what have I done for you? What have I done for you? He says you you we came across you 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 know uh, tumbled one of our fronts and you were dragged in and you were nothing more than a kid, and I saw your future, and I saw that you know this was in your future blah blah. So I you know I cleaned you up and I gave you a gun and I gave you a purpose. And then at the end of the film, that's what Joe sees. Um, we will get to about the Rainmaker. He says he sees a loop. He sees this idea of like the causality of what's going to happen, and he has to change it. So I'm, there's part of me that now thinks back of like, who is Abe? Because Abe seems more important. Like, he keeps giving bits of information. He keeps dropping information that says he he's obviously from the future because they say that he knows more than he ever lets on. Right. So, but does he? You know, like you say, is he a man out of time, or again? Does he know these differing timelines? Does he see a version of Joe that's, that has caused the creation of the Rainmaker? Does he see a future of Joe that actually causes something different? And so by giving him a gun and a purpose actually changes something else. Like, so has he actively already changed the future by doing that that um, action? Don't well, know. I mean, the, the thing is, in a in a universe where you can't change time, everything that travels through time changes it and creates a mm. new iteration, right? Mm. And either you're in a universe in which you have these anchor points and uh, people can be a kind of man out of time, in which case, if that's the case, by the way, by the way, every time a looper goes back, right? Every iteration, mm. now there's two Bruce Willis's showing up in the field. Now there's three, mm. now there's four, now there's five. But the movie doesn't want to do that. So we're clearly not in, you know, we clearly need to have that anchor point. And if it's a race, then the previous, you know, iteration is a race. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think your questions about Abe, I, I've thought a little bit about them. But, you know, I guess I feel like, like with Primer, I think this is, and I know I like Primer a lot more than you do, but I think this is a smart movie. It knows what it's doing. Thinking in this way might yield dividends, right? Like, mm. they might have thought about this. They might, you know, know a kind of secret to what's going on here. And, you know, there are, when you po po poke down uh, some some problems with Primer, but you really have to make that chart that I did to get at that, right? It, it works until you get to that level. And even then it's kind of, you know, relatively minor. Here, mm. I feel like, you know, in a movie that is this dumb about its most basic element, um, you know, why, you know, I don't understand thinking about that. Uh, no, I, no, no, it's, I think it's one of the things that I think, you know, um, maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm looking for meaning where there is none to give it more weight and validity. 
Do you know what I mean? No, I, like maybe, yeah. maybe that's what I'm trying to do. But because like I think say, you're right, though. I mean, you do think like Abe is there's more to Abe, right? And in part, that's yes. because you never see this future 30 years on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you never really see these gangster elements. You don't really see any of that. Uh, Abe's just kind of there. And all the questions about like, gee, how does this really work? How how do they make their money? And kind of, you know, why isn't Abe doing other stuff? Um, you know, the, the questions about the structure all go back to Abe. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you're right. Because I was, I'd forgotten certain things. Been, it actually had been a while since I've seen this film, but I was thinking like, you know, Abe, Jeff Daniels, what, in his late 50s? Um, you know, whatever age or whatever the age you want to put him at when he's making this, when they, you know, he is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a younger version of him about somewhere in 2074. So, the, like you said, there are two right. versions in in that year of him: the older version, which is now running the the loopers, and then the younger version, which is about somewhere. And I was kept thinking, like, is one of these Gatmen going to turn out to be his younger self? Mm-hmm. Um. And like you know, they haven't tried to make it as obvious as sort of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's makeup, but it, you know, that, I thought, oh, then maybe that's going to come out and be a part of it. But it never comes out. It never sort of that that was not never part of it. So I think I'd fool myself, which made me think like there is, there's more to that character. Um, oh, I agree. There again, might have been like an earlier draft, right, that had some more there. And that's what I feel like this film has got. This film, it's watching it this time. That is exactly my was one of my thoughts. It's like. This film like feels a little bit like Ryan Johnson had maybe two, maybe even three stories or ideas centered around something and then put them all sort of together. Because one of the things you get, one of the main thrusts of this film is um, you find out at some point that all the looper contracts are being shut down. So in the future, 30 years in the future, all those future loopers are being hunted down and sent back quite quickly now. It sort of seems to be coming to a bit of a thing where they're trying to close the whole thing down. And it's this new sort of like gang um, leader, gang lord or whatever, called the Rainmaker, who's doing this. Uh, and so one of the things that Bruce Willis does now he's come back is to find out who this who this person was uh, 30 years earlier and kill him off. Because he's like, well, if I can kill them off, then I can stop this from happening. They won't come after me. They won't kill my wife, and I can just live happily in the future. So hopefully, I should just, as you sort of said, back to the future style, just disappear. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, so, you sort of get the information, and it sort of becomes a little bit like, again, sort of homaging something else. It becomes the Terminator mm-hmm. because he's got three houses and three bits of information. Um, and unfortunately, he, he you know he's got yeah there's three sort of pinpoints and he loses part of the map because uh, his younger self takes that so he goes off to kill these other two children, um, in order to try and sort of save the future, um, as it were. And so sort of that it, that feels like another layer that they've added onto this film that sort of, you know, feels a little bit. It could have it could have almost done without it. Like you could have sort of stuck with the right. whole thing that was before without adding that on top, um, and had to deal with this idea of having to kill your future self and deal with that and everything. Could have mm-hmm. been just as interesting on its own. So adding this in feels a little bit extra and a bit sort of forced, right? In order to to give you that emotional potential emotional impact at the end. Um, yeah, I, I agree completely. I, I mean, I think that 
uh, ironically, some of the scenes that I do like are with the telekinetic kid. Um, mm. And I, I have some problems with them. Like, you know, why after you've killed the guy, does the room explode? I mean, there are a lot of just kind of like odd, bad directing mm. choices in this movie. Um, uh, but in addition to the telekinetic bit, uh, sort of like, you know, you have to imagine a universe where it's basically just like ours, except it has a time travel, b telekinet telekinesis, right? Yeah. But then there's the th- a third element, which is not as important. Of there's this like one hover bike, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and I keep thinking like you see nothing else hover, and and every scene with a hover bike is just embarrassing, right? Like I mean, yeah, it, it looks look okay. Good. No, it doesn't look good, and also, um. Like the first time you see it, it speeds away and like the exhaust kind of like, you know, surprises somebody, you know, blows them backward, you know, in a kind of like almost comedic way. And then later on, like it speeds around Bruce Willis's van. And, you know, it's like, didn't you hear, even though this looks terrible, I can forgive that. Didn't you hear it coming? You know, yeah. uh, that always throws me out of it. The, the, so the I wonder, like, about- why doesn't anything else hover? Well, this is the weird thing that there are. There are sort of like, it's almost like part thought out because there are other things in this film because it, it, there's no need for it to be a hover bike. Mm-hmm. It, it, at no point does that pay off it, it hovering because they could do it, everything they do with it, they could just do with a normal bike. Um, Absolutely. But uh, the, the, one of the things I do like about that from a, from a technology point of view is the clear thing that they've had to retrofit old cars with solar panels so it's almost like, you know, oh, yeah, there's an impact on fossil fuels or we've, we've banned them, whatever it is. And so you do see these older cars with like uh, solar panels like, strapped to the bonnet and the roof. And they've obviously had to, you know, retrofit sort of power cables into the engine and stuff like all that in the background. I kind of like I'm like, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. And then, like I you say, you've then got the, and then you've got this sort of hover bike. And you're like, oh, it seems really incongruous to everything else you've got. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I'm not going to worry about too much. Okay, so, I mean, this all gets to a much deeper question, right? And I, and I think that Looper is actually a incredibly interesting movie in terms of criticism and what it necessarily says about criticism and the critical arguments that it invites. So what you've suggested is that, like, there are these elements that are just kind of cool, they don't really, or at least they were thought to be cool by the creators. Um, and they are just kind of th- thrown in a kind of mishmash. And there isn't a lot of thought given to how time travel works or, or how these different elements, why they need to be together. Um, it's just like, you know, hey, you know, the plot's going to have a telekinetic kid, you know, uh, we got a hover bike. So, um, you know, I mean, to me, that is a kind of like uncontrolled narrative um and that's more pardonable if it is a kind of comedic film or if there are indications that it doesn't take itself seriously um mm. you know one of the most intriguing things and i think one of the best defenses of this movie possible is you saying it's fun and that you enjoy it um the first time through i i had a few things that i enjoyed and this time i did not enjoy virtually anything um but I think like that that conversation in the uh, cafe where Bruce Willis is, you know, basically saying, don't think about time travel. He mocks, you know, like if we do this, we're going to wind up diagramming with straws, you know. And I think 
yeah, actually somebody really needed to do that. And, <laughs> and, and the way I take this movie is that it is a very serious movie. I think it's trying to be not just a, a clever, you know, uh, little harmless distraction, but I think it's trying to be smart. I think it's trying to be a sort of like 12 Monkeys, uh, you know, manifesto of a clever movie with a with a twist at, at the end that feels like a gut punch and is you're like, oh, wow, you know, boy, I, you know, I, I feel like all the indications are of that. And really that conversation is Ryan Johnson saying, yeah, fuck you, critics. And when I saw this, I hadn't seen um, uh, Last Jedi, but it reminds me of the unbelievable, unbelievable, shocking stupidity of Last Jedi, where, Mm. you know, uh, where the film doesn't even know the entire plot. I mean, everything else, ignore. The entire plot is based on uh, you lose momentum in space. Yeah. This is a space movie that doesn't know the most basic thing about how space works. And and if you take that out of the plot, the entire plot collapses and nothing makes any sense. That is how shockingly stupid this movie is. And when people complained about it, he attacked them on Twitter, attacked them on social media, and has said publicly, I don't think any crit you I don't think I've learned from any criticism whatsoever. And has had arguments with fellow directors. And I think that he thinks that if somebody says, like, you don't know how time travel works, right? Why is there a hover bike? He thinks that it's basically the same kind of criticism as, like, well, uh, I chose not to have Bruce Willis and Gordon Levitt get along, that he wouldn't get along Mm. with his future self. You would go another direction. Well, I made a choice, and you don't like that choice, and now you're whining about it. And it's like, no, uh, if you don't know how time travel works. That's basically the equivalent of I'm going to shoot a gun at you. And although we've seen the gun fire and and, and kill a character before now for no reason whatsoever, the bullet takes a right angle and then turns around and hits the guy who shot uh, the gun. And you say, how does that work? We've previously seen the gun work fine. I can't envision a world of physics in which uh, a gun would work that way. And uh, the movie just says, nah, well, I chose it. I want to do it. And uh, criticism of it is invalid because that's my choice. And there's a thematic reason for why I want him to kill himself in the scene. You see what I'm saying? Oh, no, I totally agree. And I, I do. And I think there are, you know, there are, there are two sort of like differences there. Cause I think it's sort of, you're right. You know, you, there are character, you know, there are character sort of decisions in in creation, and then there are technical decisions, aren't there? And that's the thing. It's like you say, having older Bruce Willis, which you, that's the point. You've seen this person change over time, and if you've lived for thirty years, you you could well be like a very different person. So, you know, going back and speaking to your thirty year old self, like yeah, there probably would be times when you'd be like, oh, you're such a little prat. I can't stand you. <laughs> you know that's fine. Like, I get that from a character standpoint. But like I said, the technical point of, there are certain technical things in this film that are inexcusable, and I, I I will admit that without reservation. Like they just don't work. And you're right. I, I think the time travel element of this just doesn't work at all. And the more they layer into it, the less it works. Like the more it falls apart. So by the end of the film, like it makes no sense. I'm expecting Bill and Ted to turn up and try and explain. Like, it makes <laughs> no sense. Um. Because the thing is, like I say, but, but from a character, and this is the thing, I think Ryan Johnson is actually, a, he's a, 
he's a character writer and director. Like I like some of the stuff he writes. Now, because I like the character of Joe, like the way he changes. I like the fact he's a bit of a bit of a, he is a bit of a prick in real, in, you know, as a, as a the Joe Gordon Levitt sort of uh, younger version. But when he writes those smaller films, I really enjoyed Knives Out. I really enjoy Brick. I think they're really good. But they say when he tries to introduce these science fiction elements, like I just don't think he gets it. Like I say, he doesn't understand the the mechanics of it to make it work. Um. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there is nothing to defend. Like you are totally right. There is nothing to defend it because it does just fall apart. I I enjoy the character interactions and I like some of the action stuff. But like, yeah, the mechanics of it is is terrible. <laughs> um. Well, and I think I people mean, look for different things in different movies, right? Like, mm. you know, I I am somebody who detests most sitcoms, and I have a lot of friends who they love. I have a lot of friends who love friends, right? I have mm. a lot of friends who love, um, you know, Parks and Rec. And, and I and I think, oh, okay, I kind of like those characters. But part of the joy of those shows is just the, seeing those characters. You fall in love with those characters. You want to see what they do every week. I am almost immune from that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very uninterested in character mm-hmm. by itself. I, I want to see how that character functions within your plot. So like their urge to save their child, uh, you know, will be important in the plot and we'll see how it cause him causes that character to be usurped or not, hopefully in a poignant way. Um, you know, that's, that's what I care about character. So for me, like mm. primer has very little in the way of character. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. And it's not that I'm immune from character, but I sometimes think like my brain is a little deformed relative to the norm. <laughs> uh, and, and so I dig what you're saying about like, you know, uh, this working on that sort of basic uh, character level. And I do think that is one of the strengths of the film, the sort of idea of, I, I, I think the poster was kind of like a, a, there was a poster for it that was like a playing card, you know, like uh, where, mm you know, Gordon Levitt is on one side and Bruce Willis is on the other. And that's brilliant, right? You know, I mean, the idea, the basic emotional idea behind this works super well. Oh, yeah, I agree. And that's, and you know, so whenever they do add emotional elements into it, like, I really like it. There's a moment in this film where, let's get, I mean, let's get into the whole thing. There's this is idea of the Rainmaker, because there's a couple of things to do with that that I really like. So this thing, this, this, this gang lord in the future that's killing off loopers and other things he's taken over the gangs in the future it, he's the reason obviously that the future joe bruce willis has been hunted down so that's why he's trying to do this thing and he has these three names so he gets his sort of like sarah connor moment where he he will then go and he has to kill these sort of three kids and he starts by doing it and there's a moment when he sort of sneaks into this garden and he has to kill this little boy and it, it's it's okay from a you know from all, all the technical stuff away like you are, I'm asking myself, like, is he really going to do this? Like, can he sort of kill this child? You know, is it is this a case of sort of you know sacrificing the one to save the many? But then they're all gangsters, so does it really matter? How does it change the future? And in the end, it's just killing a kid, and he does it. And then when he runs out, he sort of runs across the road. And he sort of he um, it's a bridge or whatever, but he sort of holds himself up against this sort of structure, and you can see the look on Bruce Willis's face, like he's. He's hoping to all hope that that was it. All I had to do was kill this one kid and it's done. Am I going to be sent back? And it doesn't happen. And he just, the look on his face is like, it's that, oh God, I've got to keep going. 
<laughs> well, and, and also, like, I just killed an innocent, right? Exactly. He's like, you can see that there's the regret of like, I've got to do this because like, he's he's trying to put all that behind him. I've, I've got to do this to do what I think is right, or what, at least what I want my wife back. And so, I, in that moment, I'm like, I I'm trying to sympathise with him, but I can't because he, the actions he's taken. But I'm almost like, but I understand the hope, that moment of like, I hope it was just this once of like, I've had to do this horrible act, but I'm hoping it was just a <laughs> one-off. And, and it, when it fails, I'm just like, he's like, it is just like, oh man, onto the next one. Um, <laughs> and so there's moments like that. I'm like, that's really cool. And that's where I think Ryan and Johnson sort of uh, thrives that in those moments. Um, cause he does carry on. Cause he then sort of, if no, you know, it's been highlighted that Joe has this relation with this prostitute, and she's got a kid and sort of like, you know, she's like a, the, the tart with the heart, the sort of hooker with, you know, the heart of gold kind of thing. <laughs> and um, which is a real cliche. If, I mean, they, they are trying to tap all those noir cliches as, as, you know, throughout it. But again, like it's this thing of like, he's got to do this. And unfortunately it's the third kid he gets to, but that again, I'm really enjoying. Like, it, enjoying is the wrong word, but it's, it's working for me on that level. Of, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with these characters. Um, well, I agree so, with that, actually. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy dead kids, just uh, uh, <laughs> on principle. Um, I, you know, in all seriousness, I confess that I do identify with that. And I and I do like that um, Bruce Willis goes through with it, right? I mean, I think that takes mm. some guts to depict that and have that character basically be in the position of the Terminator. Um and I identify with that character in that moment of, of having to do this terrible thing and feeling bad about having to do it, but knowing this is for the greater good. I came here to do this. I've got to follow through. I agree. I, I you know, I like that dynamic. And yeah, so, you know, it has its moments. Um, and uh, so that, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, like again, the flip side of, of that is that you then get the fact that like, um, young Joe has actually gone to this farmhouse, which was, which was the third or the first house, whichever you see it, and just so happens to be the kid, and the kid just happens to be um, this telekinetic kid. He's got, you've seen, I would say, sort of like minor telekinetics, you know, they're, they're able to levitate a coin and, and that's about it. This kid's mm-hmm. got full on like X Men style powers, like, you know, he's, uh, he's off the charts. Um, and it's sort of, you know, you eventually learn that this kid will grow to become the Rainmaker. And you don't know why until the end. And I'm, I'm just going to run through this because it's sort of, in my head, this is this is the problem I have. with This is the way it starts to fall apart right at the end. So they all sort of turn up at this, they all sort of, you know, convene at this farmhouse. There's always been these things. And there's a moment where Bruce Willis is, is carrying on with his Terminator moment and he's about to try and kill the young child that's got telekinesis because he thinks by killing the kid, he will stop the future. But Emily Blunt, who is his mother, the kid's mother won't get out of the way. And Joe Gordon Levitt sees this sort of like connective, like this connective tissue of all these events that are going to happen. Like that the old, uh, old Joe will fire. He will shoot the mother. And instead of killing the kid, it then sort of spurns the kid onto anger, which then leads to revenge, which then leads him to become the rainmaker which then this is the loop that you're supposed to be sort of like, oh my God, that's the loop. And you say, okay, so that then triggers the loop, which then triggers the, the, the takeover of the gangs, which then leads to the killing of all the loopers and closing of the contracts, which then leads Bruce Willis to come back 
and um, do all this thing. That's supposed to be the loop. But you've already seen a time where that doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> so it's right. Not, so it's so it's not a foregone conclusion. So it's not a loop. So yeah. That, so then I'm like, all right. So that so what triggered that difference? Because the, that this do you remember the time when we when we've talked about Terminator before? Terminator is a deterministic future. Skynet is created because the Terminator came back and the arm uh, and the the, the crushed endoskeleton and the chip and the, the arm survive. Right. That's well, well the first the first Terminator is deterministic. Yes. Just, Sorry, yeah, right. the first the Terminator. The Terminator. Yeah. Forget the rest, but the Terminator is deterministic. And the thing is again, so in order to prevent that and to protect Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese is sent back and he's obviously the father of John Connor and so, round and round it goes. That is a determinist it that has never not happened. That has always happened. That is a fixed loop in time. You never see an alternative. Mm-hmm. Looper, which is literally called Looper and about loops, <laughs> right. sh- sh- shows you multiple versions of what can happen. And clearly so it has people changing time all the time, right? Like that guy dying, you know, decaying. I mean, magically yeah. changing instantly. I mean, Bruce Willis's memories are changing and he's struggling to hold on. I mean, the whole story is based around changing time all the time. And at the end, that vision that you point out where... Gordon Levitt kind of like, I think it's intended to be kind of like a revelation. Like it's yeah. a flash forward, but it's like, he's like, oh my God, this is how it, it happened. This is how he became that messed up kid who became the Rainmaker, right? Mm. Except literally that has never happened. Like Bruce Willis no. has not attacked him previously. So this is all of, this would have to be a fantasy on his part. I mean, literally not only have we seen other versions of the timeline, but we have never seen this version before. And this version could not have happened before. No. And that's, so that's the problem. So it's not a loop. It's an open. So the question is then, so what, what caused it previously? Something else must have happened to trigger the Rainmaker to go after the loopers. Because this, because you're right. Because that this event, the, the end of this film has not happened before. Because mm-hmm. we have seen alternatives where we have seen alternative where Joe kills his future self, no fuss, no muss, carries on, lives thirty years. That's so you know if that's that, and then but that and that's the timeline where you know so this is the thing where this is where he starts sort of like, you know they try to suggest that him going to China rather than France is what causes the deviation from the timeline. But it wasn't a loop because he's already killed himself. So he killed his future <laughs> self. So we've seen a future version that didn't include the Rainmaker. Right. So, if, yeah. So you can tie yourself up in knots a little bit of it. And I know, like I say, as Abe says in this film, you'll fry your brain like an egg. But this is the problem. Like, it hasn't been thought through clearly enough. Yeah. I mean, he says the, the past was a circle round and round. And I, I wanted to scream like, no, that's exactly not what you have shown us. Yeah. You have literally yeah. shown us and gone to great pains to depict like an alternate magical back to the future version of timeline. Um, mm. You know, and I remember the first time I saw it, I mean, I was kind of like, okay, you know, there's stuff I like, there's stuff I don't. When I got to this ending and I thought, you know, okay, I mean, this is part of the problem is like, you know, I really, 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 really hate um, movies and the kind of culture that I see today of movies that think that they are smart. You know, they think mm. they're clever. 
right? Like this is a clever idea. And in fact, you know, yeah, it might be a clever idea, but it doesn't belong in this movie. And you have not thought about how to fit it in this movie or how to have a narrative that makes sense around it. And therefore it's not clever at all. And I see this in a lot of movies, especially, you know, big blockbusters. Uh, and I really fear that we are in a uh, an era where this is tolerated. And uh, if a critic points it out, they're sort of shouted down and, and mocked. Um, and I remember the first time I saw this, I thought, oh, you got, you know, it's kind of a clever idea when he when Gordon Levitt just shoots himself right you can see how this would be so seductive as an idea to incorporate but then mm-hmm. literally bruce willis just kind of like wipes away and you instantly think like why are they still in this field bruce willis never came back in time now why are yeah. they literally wounded in a field what is going on well th- th- more than that i mean that's the thing so yeah <laughs> and this is the thing with the, with this thing this paradox is obviously that's what it creates it they, they try to resolve it by just going eh but um, yeah, again, it, it it comes down to that character thing, doesn't it? Of like, you're supposed to be, as you said, seduced by the characters, sucked into the idea. So for me, like again, like carrying through the characters, the moment you've had this quite sort of, you know, Joe as a character has quite been quite a selfish character. He's quite self-absorbed. He's been saving up his money, you know, half his silver blocks, his entire sort of career, ready to go and live his life. And you've seen him, you know, in the future, he's a, he's, a, he's a drug addict. He's got all these other issues. Like, he's not a particularly good person, really. And so right. for him to make this choice to save the kid, um, you know, and to, sort of, to, say, to, to save the future by sacrificing himself, again, from a character standpoint, has an emotional resonance. Like, you know, in the instant, like, he makes that decision and there's no hesitation. He turns the gun on himself and fires and that's it. And so from a character standpoint, I'm like, good, I'm in on that. I like that. That to me works brilliant but again like from a technical point of view like you say bruce willis then just evaporates off he goes and then they're like oh my god thank good he's gone but all the devastation that he has caused is still there right. you know the sort of the gunfight and everything but then you're like but if he died now from a causality point of view he never came back to do this so it sort of ties itself up in knots by having this narrative that doesn't that doesn't work unless you just sort of go the Doctor Who way and go sort of like, oh, you know, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, spacey wacy <laughs> kind of stuff. It, it just sort of like you just have to accept it, I think. And that, I agree that it doesn't, for me, from a technical standpoint, this film is indefensible. And I will agree from that. I think it is just, I have been lured in by some of the ideas and some of the characters in it. Mm-hmm. That's that's more the joy I get from this film. Because I did, when, 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 Joe Gunlivet does shoot himself at the end. I am a bit like, oh man, that's a that's a tough ending. But yeah, I know it makes no sense. <laughs> what well, what I find unbelievably fascinating is that uh, I went into this episode sort of feeling like, okay, I don't know how we're gonna get through this because, like, to me, <laughs> this is just like almost, almost not entirely, but almost scorched earth bad, right? Like for me, this movie is a D. And I cannot imagine rating it above a D. Uh, and I think that's being slightly generous. But there are stuff that I like. Everything you have said, I have agreed with. I absolutely agree that from a character standpoint, that ending is right. It feels right. And, and that's part of why I think uh, 
when I say it's seductive, it's not just that it's a clever twist. It's that it makes sense in terms of a character arc and that character, and it feels right in a sense. Um, so, I mean, I agree with everything you have said. And at the same time, for me, my reaction, partly because I, I don't care about character that much or just my brain is, you know, deformed in some way, I watch that ending and I think, okay, this doesn't make sense. It would make absolutely as much sense for Joseph Gordon-Levitt to disappear and Bruce Willis mm. just to still be there and shoot them down. It would make as much sense for uh, the telekinetic kid to disappear. And you say, why is that possible? Why did that happen instead of Bruce Willis? It makes as much sense as Bruce Willis. I mean, at that point, like it would make as much sense to have aliens land in response to him shoot that gun and say, you know, we don't like the Rainmaker either. Uh, you know, <laughs> come with us in our flying saucer. That makes as much sense as what I have just seen. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it is from a character standpoint, it makes sense. I have admiration for the idea of the twist and, uh, and and sort of what it means from a from a character arc perspective. At the same idea, at the same time, I'm just you know pulling my hair out and I'm in mm. so much pain. And and, <laughs> and I think that's part of the difference of of different movie audiences, and that's part of why I I have trouble enjoying like uh, you know you know some of these Marvel movies and things like that is you know to me. You know, I think like, yeah, that's kind of clever. I, I sort of observe what what other people are enjoying, but I'm physically in pain uh, thinking about Aliens Land. Yeah, I, I, and I do, I do agree. And I, I, like I said, I, I can't, keep, I, can't do, I couldn't defend <laughs> the time travel in this at all, even and other things as well. Like there are some techno, there are other, other technology things in this that make no sense. Um, and the ending itself, like you know, she sort of. The other thing is obviously, then you get the very end of the film is Emily Blunt, uh, the telekinetic kid's mom, has got the, the silver Joe Gordon Levitt silver, and so it's like it's basically set up of like, oh, right, they've now got a sort of like a fixed, uh, a set future. They, they're now secure in their future, and you're like, okay, great. Does that mean that everything's better? You've still got a really tantrumy sort of kid with really dangerous telekinesis. Um, I mean, we're talking sort of like Akira level problems here. Yeah, that nobody seems to be wanting to address. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I mean... that sort of that that's the thing. Oh, sorry, so the other thing is I was gonna, from a character thing as well. So Emily Blunt is another that they keep dropping this thing about redemption or facing up to your mistakes or the things you've done in the past because she admits that she is the kid's mother. Um, but she had him very, very young and it was clear that she wasn't able to, to sort of raise him properly. So her sister came in and took him away and she sort of let him, let sorry, she let her take her away, take the kid away. And then when this, the, the, her sister dies, she has to sort of like reintroduce herself and mother uh, the, the boy. And she's doing her best to sort of make up for that mistake. And, you know, and she's taken on this whole burden and everything. Um, but, you know, is is she knows that this kid doesn't believe that she is his mother. And so there's that sort of pain and everything that goes with that. And I think, oh, that's a really, like, it's not explored in a, in a whole massive way, which I think is a real shame. But again, they're trying to sort of put something in there, which I think is interesting from a character point that Ryan Johnson is really good at. Unfortunately, say, then you get the add-ons that don't really make a great deal of sense. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely. And actually, I like that kid. 
Um, mm. There are a few moments where, you know, uh, there are lines of dialogue by different characters that aren't well delivered. But but overall, I like that kid. I like that kid's kind of fascination. I like his rage. I mean, it always reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode with that, uh, you know, sort of telekinetic kid who uh, controls the town. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, so I, I love that stuff. And, you know, I love everything you're saying. I love redemption stories. I love the idea that we can take responsibility for our mistakes and grow as people. These are beautiful things. I, you know, I agree with everything you're saying. I just have trouble <laughs> getting there. I, I know what you mean, because one of the most frustrating things about this film is I do really enjoy it, but it's one of those that you think, like, I'm enjoying this, but like I say, I can't, I can't justify or defend these other, the technical elements of all this, because it's clearly, like you say, not been thought out. But if this had been given, like if, if Ryan Johnson had shared screen writing scripts, uh, screenwriting sort of uh, time with somebody else, you know, a, 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 some, another set of eyes that could have said, like, I love all this stuff you're doing over here. This is really cool. Can we just think through this? Like, can mm-hmm. we just draw this out and see how this works and just make sure that we are actually, um, you know, hitting the right moments and we're actually doing this from a technical standpoint? Like, you know, it's one of those that sort of like, for me, it's, again, we, we go back to Inception. One of the great things we said about Inception was like the action was good. You know, the, the, the concept is, is, you know, Oh, it's okay. You know, we had some. I had some issues with that, but overall, it's great. The one thing I always come back to with, with Christopher Nolan, for the most part, is sometimes I'm quite cold to his characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is almost the opposite. Where I'm like, because I, you know, I love with Nolan, I love the concepts, I love a lot of the, the sort of um, the technical stuff and the sort of the way it's sort of carried out and the presentation. But then there's bits that leave me cold. With this, I'm enjoying the characters and sort of like you know elements of how it's presented and stuff. But technically, like it's a bit of a fudge. Is the best way to describe it. You know, it's sort of all right. Well, just you know, I feel a bit like Bruce Willis. Like it doesn't matter. Don't think about the time travel. I'm not going to draw you a diagram because it doesn't make sense. So let's just move on. Um, and I can sort of feel that that's like Ryan Johnson working through a right. character. Well, I, and I agree with that characterization of Nolan. And I, and I think that one of the things I like about him is that, yeah, there can be plenty of things that you find uh, problematic or you don't quite believe in, in the premise. But once a premise is set up, you know, you know, and I have no problem with telekinesis being in the same story as, you know, the loopers. I mean, I'm willing to forgive the parts of that that don't make sense to me. But um but once you set those things up, I want to see what are the implications. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're right that from a character standpoint, this is stronger. I think that uh, one of the things that comes out to me is another way in which uh, sort of this points to types of criticism or, or how we think about stories that I think this movie is very... Um, it's as pretentious as a Nolan film, right? Like it, it's trying to be a sort of great movie that people are going to remember and a kind of, you know, big deal. It takes itself very seriously to me. I don't think there's, you know, there, you pointed out that good joke in the, uh, in the sort of diner, but 
outside of that, I mean, they're not, there's not a lot of moments of humor. You've got Bruce Willis gunning down kids, you know? I mean, there's some dark stuff here and it ends with this kind of twist that I think is supposed to be a gut punch. Um, You know, so I think it's very serious and it, and I could forgive really all of this stuff if it were a farce, if it were Mm. like back to the future or Bill and Ted. And it's like, it doesn't take itself too seriously it's a gag, you know, basically enjoy the characters and go on this rip-roaring adventure. And I don't think it is a rip-roaring adventure. I think it is a, you know, sort of wants to be a good movie. Um, and I, it's interesting that we judge things based on, especially since the Art for Art's Sake movement, like what the work wants to be. And... I feel like I could forgive all of this if it wanted to just be a fun romp. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that's it. If it, like you say, if it was having more fun with these ideas, then I think, you know, it, it would carry it off more. The other thing is as well, it, it, you, it tells you how serious they want you to take it with the level of sort of prosthetics and makeup they've put on Joe Gordon Levitt for him to look like a young Bruce. Like, he is trying to act and he's clearly like watched his mannerisms and that. he does a great job. I mean, you know, there are times when it looks a bit too heavy, but yeah, like he's, he's doing a really good job. And I think oh, he look comes across great, but like you say, it comes across great. Like, you know, I'm, I'm really acting here. I'm really acting, Like pay attention to how really acting I am. <laughs> and that, that sort of like, like you say, um, you know he's he's into the character and i can get that like you say but there's just so much left behind that you do think they're sort of like i i think they do they did expect this to get some sort of uh award or you know to to rock people's world in that sort of way and it doesn't it, it isn't that film it isn't that film at all um but yeah i think there could I, be as you said like you bring in another writer there is a version of this film that I would really love. There's mm. there are elements here. I think that that twist ending, right? I mean, okay, so you don't have Bruce Willis disappear, but I mean, the idea of the ending of the movie Looper about time travel involving a loop, decide on one version of time travel, you know, work it out so it's consistent, keep your emotionally satisfying ending, and just decide on the version of time travel that works with that ending. So that it feels like the gut punch at the end instead of like, oh, you changed the nature of the universe to make this work. It's a different universe than it was last seen. Instead, rewrite it, have the version consistent so that there actually is a payoff at the end. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there is, like you say, there's a version of this that would have been, would have been a much, much better film. Um I mean, the thing is, having watched this time, I thought, like, will I go back and watch this? And I thought, yeah, you know what, I might do. But it's probably going to be sort of like more a film I might put on pop on it, you know, on streaming in the background or when I'm doing other things. And I can just sort of, you know, acknowledge it and sort of take it in. It's not a film that like because when I sat down to watch this properly, you know, for this, like you say, it's when you sort of go, oh, it 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 really doesn't warrant this much of my attention, because <laughs> um, that's where it starts to fall apart. So, yeah. It, I will keep it as a fun, a film I enjoy to watch. But yeah, I, I won't be studying it to, to you know, in that sort of level of detail again. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's very honest. But I, I also just want to say I love the fact that it brings you joy. And I almost feel as if it really is some kind of like, I know a lot of people like this movie and people like, you know, the Marvel movies and all of this stuff. And, and I and not that this is I mean, this has a lot more ideas than most of that. Um, but I almost feel like there's something wrong with my brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't quite get there. And I get so easily thrown out of a movie by stuff. Um, having said that, it depends what your approach is. And I think that we all have movies that we just love and we know they are deeply flawed, but oh, yeah. we just love that character or it just emotionally gets us. It touches us or there's that twist that maybe doesn't quite make sense, but it just pulls off. It's done so well. It's got that Spielbergian just like the magic works and, you know, and you think, yeah, that doesn't quite make sense, but damn it, it works on screen, you know? At least well, for me. Think, yeah. Well, no, I agree. I think a lot of that comes down to tone, mm-hmm. you know, because we've we've talked about films and you know we will put them on this feed at some point. But we've talked about like uh, the early eighties, uh, Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. and and there is a lot to ridicule in that film. <laughs> like that film deserves to be ripped to pieces. But you know what? It knows it and it doesn't care, and it's so much fun for it. Like you know, it's it's one of the sort of weirdest, dumbest. Odd, odd films, you know, but it, it, you know, Brian Blessed in sort of in, in gold pants and wings, like it doesn't care, but it's all about the tone. Like if that film decided to take itself serious and was like, no, we're going to be very po-faced and really sort of straight about time travel and, and, and interdimensional travel and blah, 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 like it would fall flat, but it's like, no, no, we've, we've got uh, Max von Sydow doing a real sort of like, you know, uh, yeah sort of weird Ming the Merciless sort of like, you know, uh, yellow peril sort of like oddly racist thing. It's like the whole thing's bizarre, but it works. And it's the same with this. Like if, if this had lent into the sort of the action adventure element more and really gone with the sort of the action element, like you'd t- time cop is, a, is actually another example. All right. So if you, if you take time cop, uh, the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme nineties film, mm. um, which you may get to one day. It, yeah. It's time. It's time travel things like really don't work. Like, yeah. There are things in that film really don't make a great deal of sense. Like, the, 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 there's an idea in that film about um, your future self and past self cannot share the same space. So if you touch each other, you both sort of combust. It makes you know. It's like oh, it's ridiculous. But it's not trying to tell, like you say, a Nolan level sort of like you know uh, concept story. It's going oh no no. no. Yeah, that's how we're going to deal with this problem of these two characters. But you know what? Jean-Claude Van Damme can do the splits. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's it. And I'm like, I'm in then. I don't care. I'm, I'm down for that. I'm, it's, it's all good. I, you know, I'm going to let those things slide because it's silly and it's a, it's an, it's an action adventure film. I think you. I think that's the problem, isn't it? Tone is so so important to these things. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it also you know what. Some of it is bias, you know, like whether you you care about characters or you care about structure, right? I mean, that's a a difference that we bring. But you're absolutely right that the tone makes a difference. And I think that I also find there's this weird thing that I have that I like a lot of bad movies and I will defend (laughs) a lot of bad movies, not claiming that they're great, which is the key thing that always irritates me when people do. But I will defend them as, no, they've got ideas and they're fun 
and they're better than most of this other stuff that that people like and i can absolutely defend it on that level and i won't pretend it's a masterpiece and then there are movies that you know i think yeah this if it's not a masterpiece it's kind of got a shot there you know it's it's actually a really good movie and then there's this kind of like middle ground and in that middle ground there are a lot of movies that try to do something and and have that tone of sort of being really serious and and taking themselves seriously and 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 trying to be if not a masterpiece like a movie that's going to be remembered forever uh at least for what it's doing and that just don't work and i think that Mm -hmm. i tend to be a lot meaner and a lot angrier and more frustrated by movies that aim for that kind of high level and fall short or haven't really thought what their their project through than I am movies that are unbelievably flawed and, and just, uh, you know, maybe I'm trying so hard. I know what you mean. And I think, you know, um, it's, I also think the thing is, it's about those things of sort of, uh, of intent. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. If you, if, you know, if a film is trying to come out and be something, it's clearly not, that it is, it's frustrating, you know, it's that sort of thing. Or, you, you know, you're not that highbrow intellectual piece that you really think you are. Um, but the other thing as well, sometimes there are films I think that are also really trying hard to be something, or they reach for an idea, and it's um, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. But like, you're, you know, if they do really push out for something that's really crazy and really sort of bizarre, and do fall short or like fail epically, I'm a little bit more. You know, I may not defend them, but I'm a bit more interested in seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they've really tried for something, it's clearly not with. I'll give it cats that, and this is not sci-fi, but maybe fans. <laughs> the, the thing that came out uh, in in late twenty nineteen, like there's a part of it's like I don't want to see that. It looks scary as hell. But you know what? You went for something. You really committed to that, and it it you know it fell short. And so I'm I'm almost applauding that, you know, the effort, um, and that intrigues me because <laughs> someone's clearly gone, looked at those dailies or looked at that footage and gone, yep. That's the one, <laughs> right? Um, and so that's sometimes a dream. But you're right. There's also I I love a good bad film. Um, you know, there are films I I I struggled. There are films I want to recommend to people, and I'm like, mm, no, because you might think worse of me. But like, <laughs> yeah. Um. I so I totally know what you mean. Yeah, and and I like uh, you know I like some dumb action movies. I like some I I like some dumb romantic comedies. Hey, um, and I don't think that they're great movies, but you know I see something in them that I think is redeemable. But the standards are kind of so low, right? Like you know, mm. this is just it, it's it's you know it's intending to make its money at the box office. It's intended to be a mildly clever little take on the same you know, kind of tale that you've seen before. And, you know, the chemistry's there. It's got an interesting shot or two. And that is really, you know, firing above its weight, you know? Um, yeah. No, it's, it's harder just, to forgive the, the stuff that is like, you know, trying to be great and misses by a bit. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. But I think, so I think we've, we've really sort of, we've, we've made our positions clear on Looper. I think, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's good to come out from two different angles. Again, I think that, I think we've both come to the conclusion that there is a better version of this film that could have been made. Um, and 
I just don't think Ryan Johnson should do sci-fi ever again. <laughs> I agree. But, it, you know, I, I learned so much by this discussion. In all seriousness, <laughs> like, it, it, it helps me so much to get out of myself and see. Uh, and I respect you so much. And I have learned so much from talking to you. Uh, but it, it helps me to get out of myself to hear you know, your perspective and, and to hear especially what you said about character and understand, oh, yeah, I spotted all of that. It just didn't affect me in the same way or just didn't like click in in the same way. And it never occurred to me like I'm just absolutely flabbergasted by like, you know, how could somebody like this? I really wonder, <laughs> you know, how to do that. And then all the reasons you like it are like, oh, no, I agree with that. I, I saw that, too. It just it didn't affect me in the same way. Uh and I, I just think that's fascinating and it gets at our own subjectivities and it, it gets at we really can say a lot objectively about what this mm. film is doing. And really, we're sort of agreed on what the movie is. We just have, you know, different feels about it. But I, I think that is just absolutely fascinating. And I, I learn about myself and about the film. Yeah, and I think that's that's the I say the beauty of these conversations, isn't it? Because I say it's coming out from a slightly different angle. And I think I think you've you you know you say about that. I think I'm looking at uh, you know what we've got coming up, and because um, this is it. This is this is the thing we should highlight. Is, is this is episode ten of season one. So this is our last film of this season, um, and uh, so next episode we are going to be doing a bit of a, a season review. Uh, looking back and sort of retrospect on these episodes. And I think that's the, one of the big points of this is going to be having these conversations and coming at them from a different angle. It does. It makes me think like, you know, you, you've introduced me to several films. I probably wouldn't have watched, you know, uh, and, or I really struggled to get around to that. I've, I've enjoyed and has made me think in a different way. And that's sort of what I think hopefully these conversations will bring. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I've really benefited from these, and uh, especially sort of like you know Solaris and Primer. But we'll get on to that. We'll get on to the next episode. I'm not going to spoil my thoughts just yet. We'll <laughs> All right, excellent. Um, but I think should we let's give a quick heads up on the things we've got coming up because we've got we've got some really good stuff coming up. So um, as I say, listeners, this is sort of episode ten of season one. We've done our ten films, so please you know go back check out those other episodes. Uh, if you've any that you've missed, because um, in the next episode we are going to do like a bit of a roundup on all those ten films and our thoughts and what sort of you know looking back and reflecting on those, and then beyond that we're going to have sort of a a, uh, a, 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 a an interseason a mid season sort of bonus period, and um, we're going to be jetting uh, three million years uh, into the future uh, onto the mining ship Red Dwarf for some episodes. Um, are you looking forward to that discussion? Yes. Uh, I adore Red Dwarf, and I know you do too. And I, do. I think that both of us are fascinated by each other's experiences because, you know, you're a Brit, I'm a, I'm a Yank, and, uh, you know, we, it's impossible to imagine your point of view. And I, I think it's impossible for you to imagine mine. And this is such an idiosyncratic, you know, weird series uh, that I love so dearly. And uh, and it really, in some ways, changed my ideas about science fiction. Um, so I, I really can't wait to get into that and and, and hear each other's viewpoints and, and hear. Yeah, I know, you know, a lot more about Red Dwarf than I do. 
So I, I can't wait to get into it and, and see what emerges. Yes, I can't wait. It's, it's good. I've already started watching season one. I'm uh, I'm I'm prepping. I've started watching this. It's it's so good to go back to and watch this, some of those episodes. Um, so yeah, I'm I can't wait. I'm not going to spoil anything because I say I, Red Dwarf was sort of like such a big part of my sort of uh, adolescence. So um, there'll be a lot, a lot to talk about there. Um, so I think that's going to be sort of probably like three, maybe four episodes, but probably about three episodes to cover everything in in uh, that's Red Dwarf, and then. Uh, is it worth giving a quick rundown of what we've got in place for season two? Yeah. Um, I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, we have uh, selected 12 films from uh, for season two and that mm. uh, sort of to say something about the process, uh, I think both the second season and the first season, we sort of each, we each agreed on some sort of films in uh, that were mutual choices uh, that we both sort of wanted to do, we both liked and wanted to cover. And then we'd kind of like go to our corners and sort of like propose, you know, each, uh, you know, half of the remaining films. And, you know, and uh, that's worked out fantastically. I, I really love the way we do this because it lets us talk about some stuff we both love and want to talk about, but then also like, explore some stuff that we either haven't seen or haven't thought about in the same way yeah i i agree i think this this the list for season two is uh it's very different as well there's some great sort of high concept films and stuff in there and well, you uh, want to you want to do the list I'll, i shall give the list i've got it in front of me here so uh so those said this was 10 episodes but this next season two is going to be 12 episodes uh so uh the first episode is godzilla 1954 or gojira uh, number two would be Quite a Mass in the Pit from 1967. That's the Hammer version. So not the BBC TV show, but the Hammer version. Barbarella from 1968. Rocky Horror Picture Show from 75. Videodrome from 83. Transformers the Movie, not the Bay version. We'll have you know, the animated Generation 1 1986 version. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure uh, from 1989. Mars Attacks, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks from 1996, Minority Report from 2002, John Carter, or John Carter of Mars, from 2012, Dread, that's right, so the, the later Judge Dread film from 2012, and Valerian from 2017. So that's 12 excellent films we've got for, sir, for next year. I can't wait. I'm, I'm smiling just, you know, to hear this list gone over. And, um, you know, I, I feel as if uh, for the first season, we kind of selected movies that, yes, we liked, but that we kind of like had a very high esteem of, you know, that mm. were not necessarily like our, um, you know, uh, four or five sort of like uh, best sci-fi movies, but were kind of like movies that we thought were, were in that range of really good stuff. Um, and I think for season two, um, you know, I, we kind of went another direction and, yeah. you know, as season two was taking shape, I mean, we start with Godzilla, we got Transformers, yeah. the movie, Rocky Horror, Barbarella, my God. Um, and, you know, as season two was taking shape, uh, I, I, it kind of uh, distorted in my head and, and, I, and I sort of like started being overjoyed at the thought of just doing movies that we love that, you know, maybe they're guilty pleasures. Maybe we'll defend them and say, you know, damn it, this is really 
actually awesome and objectively <laughs> good and uh and it doesn't get enough credit um but i i like the idea of kind of returning to the fun and mm. returning to stuff that we just love and um can talk about stuff that we love that doesn't have to be um necessarily a masterpiece or acknowledged no yeah I, yeah, no, I agree. I think there's, there's some absolute doozies on here that are going to be great. I, I cannot wait. I mean, like you said, there's a couple of that you know you you mentioned you'd never seen Quatermass and the Pit, um, a very sort of British sort of sci-fi film. Um, I've never seen Barbarella, uh, which you know is a is something I think that needs to be remedied, and I cannot wait to get into that um, and watch that film. Got it on Blu-ray, so it's going to be nice and colourful and and full on sort of sixties. <laughs> 60s camp and it's going to be great so yeah so we've got some absolute doozies coming up um, the other thing that i i really love that we do and and i know the the audience probably knows this but that we put them in chronological order um mm. you know and i love that some of them are are your choices and mine and we both get to kind of expand on uh what we know or we're comfortable with but i also think that uh putting in a chronological order and kind of asking the listener to go on a journey through sci-fi history with us and to see the kind of progression. Um, and we go through, you know, different uh, examples. Both seasons have had something animated. We've got stuff uh, from foreign countries in both seasons. And that's important to me. But I really love, you know, kind of like walking through uh, sci-fi history with you uh, every season and kind of, exploring little uh cullies and cul-de-sacs of uh sci-fi movie history yeah no i agree and i think that's one, that's one of the things i'm looking forward to in our roundup next week i've got these little thoughts in my head that i'm gonna like say looking back at the, the films especially ones we've done for season one and you know that that transition uh over time from you know our first film forbidden planet uh, 1954 through to Looper in, in 2012. That's a lot of that's a lot of time, you know, technologically and sort of socially. And there's a lot changed, so it's um, it is interesting to see how these films sort of reflect all those different times, and we can keep doing that. And I think there's some next in the next season there'll be some big conversations around that. I think how how those things reflect certain things in society at that time. So yeah, really exciting stuff. Absolutely. But yeah, but for, for Looper, I think uh, I think uh, we've had a great conversation. And so, Julian, it was another fantastic conversation. Thank you very much. And a fantastic season. I have had the time of my life, and it is just something that I look forward to so much. I always leave one of these episodes feeling, you know, high as a kite and uh, excited and, you know, so happy. So this is just such a joy. And... Can't wait to keep doing it until I drop yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, we will keep keep <laughs> going. Uh, so, but listeners, if you've got anything you want to comment on, you know, if you've got any thoughts about the past t- ten films that we've we've uh, you know that we've spoken about or anything we've talked about for the future, let get in con- contact with us on Twitter. That's at Pod Time. Uh, no, I forgot. Ads. Like, at Pod Time Space, right? That's it. At Pod Time Space. We're straight on brain then at Pod Time Space. <laughs> Find us on Twitter, get in contact, let us know what you think. Um, I blame Looper. Any... Looper broke your brain on that it, one. It did. It did. Trying to figure out that bloody loop <laughs> has just broken me. Um, 
But yeah, get in contact. Let us know what you think. If there's any films that you really think we should sort of do at some point in the future, let us know, uh, and we'll we'll get them in. Okay, but uh, but for now, thank you very much, Julian, and uh, we'll speak again soon. streams.